When I was a small boy, my dad worked in sales. All my life he worked in sales. But he would come home late at night. My mom would already be in bed. I would already be in bed. And my dad would get me up. My mom didn't know. She probably knew. But he would get me up and we would watch Rowdy Rowdy Piper wrestling. And then after wrestling was Gunsmoke. And so we'd watch these shows. We'd watch this wrestling. We'd watch the Gunsmoke. And, and there was always some sort of battle, some sort of shootout or something on Gunsmoke. And it was just a great time. And that was kind of slapstick type of violence, comedy type violence, especially the wrestling part. Uh, but it was pretty tame by today's standards. But it was still a, a sort of violence, a form of violence. And at first glance, we may just pass it off and say, well, that's just kind of comic book type violence. But what about modern wrestling? What about video games like Call of Duty and some of these other types of games that are being played today that promote all sorts of violence? As Christians, what messages are we sending? What things are we communicating by watching and engaging in these types of forms of entertainment. Should, as Christians, should we be concerned about them? Does it matter for our faith at all? And if so, what ought to be our response? I was talking with Paul uh, before services. When I was, when I was a kid, uh, my parents, we watched all sorts of things. And, you know, by the time I was a, a teenager, I'd seen every Dirty Harry movie. That was probably not a healthy thing. Uh, you know, I'd seen all the spaghetti westerns uh, and watched all the cop shows. At some point in my life, I, I, I decided, you know, if a cop goes out and he just shoots everybody, he's, this is my political side. This is how bad I was growing up. But in my mind, I thought, you know, there would be some sort of counsel you know, he would have to go before and he wouldn't, you know, he'd be fired from his job. So this isn't realistic. So I got to where those shows uh, weren't of interest to me as, as early in my teen years. But... It speaks to the idea of violence. And so what I want us to do this morning is to think about God's attitude towards violence. I want us to think about the Christian and the value of violence. I want us to think about standards for choosing. Start, start by talking about attitude towards violence. But before I do that, I want to relate to you a story that, was, that I saw in the news just in the last couple of days. It's a story about a, a young lady that was recently convicted of manslaughter for shooting her boyfriend. But he was in on it because it was a YouTube stunt. And it was a YouTube stunt because he thought that he would hold an encyclopedia up above his chest and stop the bullet. And this would be a stunt on YouTube. And it was with a 40 caliber handgun. Now, I know there's enough people in here that enjoy the shooting sports that you know that that was a very foolish thing to do. And, and he died. Because guess what? The encyclopedia didn't stop it. But see, we live in a, in a, in a state in our society which glamorizes violence. And I wonder if that's healthy. Spiritually, emotionally, and socially. So let's think about this. And, and like I said, let's start by thinking about God's attitude towards violence. And we start almost at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 6. 
you know Genesis chapter 6 because Genesis chapter 6 is where we're introduced to Noah. Really, we're introduced to him in chapter 5. But chapter 6 is when we really get our glimpse of Noah. And we really get our glimpse of Noah's society, Noah's culture. And notice what it says. We'll start in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Pretty broad, general statement. But look at verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. Verse 13. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with violence the earth. Genesis chapter 6 begins by telling us that God is upset because of the wickedness of mankind, but then he goes into detail and he tells us that man was violent. And if it was so violent that God destroyed the earth, and I look around at society to me today, I wonder how bad was it? How violent was it that God looks at his creation and says, I'm just going to practically start over again because their sin is so great and it's based in violence. Does that tell you something about God's attitude towards violence? God is not pleased with the appetite violence. Let's look at some other passages. Psalm chapter 11 is a great passage, but it tells us something about God's attitude towards violence. Psalm chapter 11. Psalm chapter 11, notice verse 1. The psalmist begins, David does, "...in the Lord I take refuge." How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? Why, David? Why is that something you don't want God to say? Why, what attitude in there, David, are you concerned about? Verse 2, For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. There's violence in the society that David is concerned about. But he goes on, look at verse 5. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. How many times in Scripture do you read about God hating a soul? I don't think you can find many. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't do an online concordance search or electronic concordance search to, to make absolutely certain, but this is probably the only place or one of a few in which God uses that language. My soul hates. How does God feel about violence? The one who loves violence, my soul hates? 
That's what God is saying here. The one who loves violence, his soul hates. God is not happy with someone who loves violence. Verse 6, upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire and brimstone, and the burning wind will be the portion of their cup. God has a serious attitude towards those who love violence. How does God respond? By sending fire and brimstone upon those who love violence. Look at Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 31. We love Proverbs chapter 3 because earlier in the section he talks about trusting the Lord with all your heart. But notice a couple things towards the end of Proverbs 3. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 31. Solomon says, Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. There are some people that get things done through violent means. And that could be a man or a woman, right? Have you ever been in a grocery store? And you see someone who causes such a big fuss that the manager is just willing to give them anything they want to get them out of the store. There are some people that know how to play that game well. And you don't like to be around those people most of the time. Who wants to be around someone that's going to cause such a commotion, such a, such a scene every time and every place that they go? I mean, you get embarrassed. You don't want to be with that person. But there are some people that force their way through violent means in business, in industry, in office politics. But especially in the time of frame that Solomon's writing, there are people that love violence, that will get what they want through violent means. And Solomon is telling his son. Now remember, this is Solomon writing to his son, a future king. And he says, as the king of Israel, you need to not look at those men who accomplish things through violence and envy them. And as king of God's people, you need to make sure that you do not choose any of their ways. But you and I aren't going to be king of Israel. But we can look at people that are able to accomplish great things through violent means. And we can say, man, I want to be powerful like that guy. I've got to tell my boys all the time, don't worry about me with all my muscles. Don't envy someone who has great power and uses that power, uses violence to get what they want. And don't choose that path because it doesn't honor God. That's not what God wants us to do. That displays or this demonstrates God's attitude towards violence. So we think about programs like wrestling. And it's changed over the years, right? So Rowdy Rowdy Piper would come out and he would, you know, say some things and he would egg on his opponent, you know, and then they'd go out and they'd have some slapstick type wrestling moves. Everyone, you know, uh, used to be at the big debate when I was in junior high. Was that real or not? You know, it's fake, I'll tell you. But 
people enjoyed watching that sort of slapstick type of comedy. But today, is that what it is? Now every wrestler has a girlfriend, and there's you know competitions over those women. Uh, sometimes they even fight the women. Uh, the women forget most of their clothing. You know, is that really something we ought to be glamorizing? That sort of violence is that something that we ought to be glamorizing as Christians? Should we feed upon that sort of thing? Sometimes we enjoy violence just for violence's sake. And you can go online and you can see all sorts of things. My mind is blown away with what's available to us now through social media, uh, through the internet, through YouTube, uh, through some other live streaming video options uh, that we have. And you can see some terribly gruesome things if you choose to watch that and feed upon that. And let that come into your soul and into your mind and into your heart. But is that really what God wants us to do? Video games like Call of Duty have generated attention because of the violence that they use. Many games reportedly show all sorts of violence without consequence. Uh, what's the... Uh, there's a high... I, there's one game, I can't remember what it's called, but you steal a car and you drive off. Do you, anybody know what that game is? Why do you know what it is? GTA? You know, Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto is the one, yeah. Uh, and not only do you, it's not just about racing cars and occasionally you crash into a wall or something, uh, but you pick people up, you beat people, you can do all sorts of things. It glamorizes violent violent things. And I wonder if that's what God wants us as Christians to be doing. Now, what's the danger of all this? There are people that will debate that, that it has great psychological damage, uh, especially to, to younger children. Uh, it uh, promotes school violence. It promotes other sorts of violence. I, I don't know that you can demonstrate any of that scientifically. But I do know, I am certain, that it desensitizes us to the impact of violence, to, to what happens. I mean, if you hit somebody with your car, they're not going to spring back up and, and go on. Why did a girl allow herself to be persuaded by her boyfriend, by the way, they had kids together, to shoot at him with a 40 caliber gun because he had an encyclopedia in front of his chest because he thought it would be a good gag for you two. Something did not someone did not calculate the risk involved with that. And I'm convinced that a part of that is our culture's attitude towards violence and, and forgetting the reality of what happens when you behave in those ways. When you do those types of things, does it honor God to do that? The God who says... He who loves violence, my soul hates, or his soul hates, as the narrator writes. Let's think about Christian value, or the Christian and the value of violence. What type of kingdom are we to be? What kind of a people are we to be? So we go back to Isaiah chapter 11. 
in which Isaiah sees the coming of the Messiah and the people that will be called by the Messiah. And so in Isaiah chapter 11, we have this imagery of a peaceful kingdom. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 following. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 following. Isaiah writes, The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and fatling together, and the little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, and their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah is using this poetic language, this metaphor, to describe what the kingdom of God will be like. It will be a kingdom so peaceful that natural competitors, predators and prey, will be next to each other and be living in peace. The kingdom of God was not to become a kingdom that comes into existence through violent means. And God wants us to be a people of peace, not a people of violence. But He wants us to conduct ourselves with this attitude of peace. And so we are to strive for peace in our lives and in our relationships. Look at Romans chapter 17, or excuse me, Romans chapter 12. Tell me when you get to Romans chapter 17. Uh, but go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12. And verse 17. Romans 12 and verse 17. Romans 12, verse 17. Paul writes, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is a great passage. But it reminds us that God does not want us to conduct our lives with violence. He wants us to live in such a way in which we are taking the peaceful route in the things that we do. So at times in our lives, there are going to be people that do evil to you. They may talk bad about you. Uh, they may uh, pull pranks on you. Uh, they may curse you to your face. They may curse you to somebody else's face. They may undercut you. They may do violent things to you. They may take advantage to you. And even though it may be your mentality to retaliate in some way, God says, don't. That's why we teach our children. When your brother comes up and slaps you, or hits you, or scratches you, you aren't to retaliate in the same way. Do not return evil 
for evil. But there's also another standard in here, and that standard is the standard of acknowledging that God is the judge. And God sees all that happens under the sun. And God's going to carry out the judgment. God's going to carry out the punishment. And if someone deserves a punishment, if someone deserves retribution for something they've done, guess what? God can do it better than you can. Which is kind of a mean way to kind of think about things. But doesn't it make your life so much easier? I don't have to worry about getting back at this person over here. I don't have to worry about letting everyone know what I think about this fellow over here. I don't have to worry about undercutting somebody else because God is going to take care of all of that and He can do it a lot better. So I don't have to think about how I'm going to get that person back and make it look like somebody else's fault. I don't have to worry about getting back at somebody. I can leave it to God and God is going to take care of it. But you see, in verse 21, he reminds us, don't become over, don't, do not be overcome by evil. Don't let the bad things that happen to you, the evil that people do to you, consume you so much that you be filled with evil. And try to carry out evil yourself. And folks, that's our, that's our human nature. That's what we want to try to do. Like the one lady who told me years and years ago, she said, Ron, I don't get mad. I get even. I thought that was such an interesting thing. I don't get mad. I get even. What does that mean? But there are some people that that's the way they live their lives. And God says, that's not my way. That's not the way I want you to conduct yourself as someone who carries my name. We ought to strive for peace in all that we do. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15 as Paul is talking about the armor of God, he makes an interesting statement. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. He says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is a fascinating imagery. The Roman soldiers had sandals that were kind of like cleats. They had little notches on the bottom of their feet so that they didn't lose traction. And even as they were pressing forward in battle, they wouldn't fall down because they had superior shoes to their enemies that would prevent them from losing ground. And Paul says, as Christians, you need to make sure that on your feet are these, are the, is the cleated gospel. And he calls it the feet shotted with the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. The gospel that contains peace. The gospel that's about peace. The gospel that is full of peace. That's what we are to carry. As we go into this world and we do battles spiritually in this world, we are presenting a gospel of peace. Now, we could spend an entire another sermon, I guess, talking about what kind of peace that is and how you have that peace and how the gospel brings you that peace. But it's still the idea that we're bringing it through peace. And so there's a great difference between those who serve in the military protecting our nation and the glorification of random violence 
There's a difference between police officers who sometimes have to use forceful means to enforce the law. There are other passages we could go to, Romans chapter 14 being one that talks about, I believe, our military and our, our police officers. They're carrying out authority by the authority of God. There's a difference between that and gratuitous violence and just liking violence for the sake of violence, enjoying blood and guts just for the sake of blood and guts. That's not what God wants us to do. So that leads us to the question of choosing our standards for entertainment, choosing our standards uh, for what we do in our lives as Christians. I want you to think about this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Everything we do in our lives as Christians ought to be things that we do in the name of Christ, in the name of God. In other words, we're, we're bringing glory and honor to the name of Christ. And that includes the choices we make in terms of what we watch and what we listen to and, and the things that we say and, and the places that we go and that sort of thing. I, I've got to stop and say, is this going to bring glory and honor to God? Can I do this in the name of God? And many times, if I ask that question, I may find myself saying, you know what? I don't think I can. Doesn't necessarily mean that the thing in question is going to be a sin, but it's not something I can do in the name of God. Paul says all things are possible, but not all things are profitable. Not all things are useful. Not all things are, are good. And so there are some things that I choose not to do just because they're not wholesome, they're not good, they're not things that bring glory and honor to God. In seeing a movie or a video or a video game or a song, which glamorizes some, some sort of sinful thing, inherent sinful thing, or, or violence is depicted, is that really something I can do in the name of God? This may very well fall into the arena of personal opinion, and it does. But I need to form my opinion about it based on, is this pleasing to God? So let me suggest some things that you might consider and ask yourself as you choose your own standards along these lines. Is the main focus of this movie, this song, this rap, this whatever, Focus mostly on gratuitous violence. Is my primary reason for wanting to see this because of the violence in it? Is my primary entertainment value based on violent themes? And if so, I need to step back and ask myself, is this the attitude that we see in Psalm 11 and Proverbs 3? We're told... He who loves violence, my soul hates. Or do not envy a man of violence or choose any of his ways. The thirst for more gruesome and realistic violence may suggest an idea or an attitude that is contrary to God's will. So I need to be careful with the things that I do and say, the shows that I watch, the games that I play. How seriously should we take, take this issue? Well, if God destroyed the world once because of violence, 
That tells us something about how seriously we ought to take it. If God says he's going to bring down fire and brimstone on those who practice such things, that tells me something about how serious I ought to take it. If he says he's going to curse the wicked, then I might come to the conclusion that it's no small issue. I ought to take it seriously. As we consider what ought to be our standard, it doesn't, shouldn't just be, is this a sin? Can I prove that this is a sin? Can I prove that this is not a sin? That's kind of the surface level standard that we sometimes apply when we become Christians. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But as we grow in our faith, let me suggest two other standards that we ought to think about. First of all, is it godly? Secondly, is it something good and wholesome that I ought to think about? Consider these two passages. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. Remember, this is that stair step of which Paul, or Peter says to these Christians, add to your faith, make every effort, make every effort to add to your faith. And then he kind of stair steps his way through a number of qualities. But in verse 7 he says, and in your godliness, or excuse me, verse 6 he says, in your perseverance, godliness. Verse 7, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness. Godliness is the word piety. And piety kind of has, being pious kind of has a negative connotation today. Oh, that person thinks they're so pious. We don't like to use that word. But the idea of godliness means looking to what is pleasing to God. Obviously, sin is not pleasing to God. But you see, the standard of sin is down here. There's a higher standard that says, is this pleasing to God? Is it pleasing to God that I watch someone have an affair? Is it pleasing to God that I watch somebody completely take advantage of somebody else? Is it pleasing to God that I be entertained by someone doing some gruesome act to another person? If I ask myself honestly those things, it's going to change the way I choose my entertainment choices. The last passage I want us to look at is Philippians chapter 4, 8. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Paul says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Is what I'm wanting to watch true? Is it honorable? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of pure or good repute? That's what I ought to dwell on. And many times, when we look at some of these violent video games, some of these violent shows, some of these violent themes, I dare say that we could not say it passes through the criteria of good, lovely, and purity. Can we say... All these games are wrong? Can we say all these shows are bad? Can we say a Christian can never go see another spaghetti western? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, for you individually, you need to think about these things and use that to guide your decisions. Our society today is in trouble. I grew up in a state which was perfectly legal to have a gun rack in the back of your pickup with your rifle hanging there 
and go to school and no one ever got shot. Something has changed in the last 30 years in our society to where all of a sudden violence is acceptable. And we've gotten away from God's attitude of hating violence. If you're here this morning, you need to escape the violence of sin in your life by being united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. One together we sing.